Our first uh, scripture reading this morning is from the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, scripture passage that I have a feeling is very familiar to uh, many of you. It is uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to take a look at your uh, bulletin and the, the sermon title. I, I've brought you here today under false pretense. That's not actually the sermon title. The sermon title is The Joy of Tithing. So... Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> Fourth grader uh, was given an assignment at school from his teacher to write a one-page paper about his family roots. His mother was uh, busily preparing dinner uh, for that night, and the boy uh, came up to her and asked the question, Mommy, where did I come from? That that mom paused with fear and trepidation. She had a lot of things in her mind. She had a lot of things to do, and she certainly did not want to get into a heavy discussion on that particular subject. And so she said back to her little boy, the stork brought you. That didn't satisfy the little boy, and so he persisted. Well, then, mommy, where did you come from? And so that mother hesitated, looked her young boy in the eyes and said, well, the, the stork brought me too. Still left the little boy discontent, and so then he asked, well, then, Mommy, where did Grandma come from? Well, by this time, the mother was getting a little frustrated, and so she yelled at the little boy, well, the stork brought Grandma too. The little boy nodded his head, left the kitchen, went up to his room, sat it down at his desk, and began to start his paper. His opening paragraph was, there has not been a normal birth in my family for three generations. <laughs> well, uh, let's be honest. Uh, human sexuality is not an easy topic to discuss. It's not an easy subject to preach on, especially as we live in a society when there are so many conflicting messages that bombard us day and night with sexual images. 
Sports Illustrated Magazine's most popular issue of the year has nothing to do with the World Series, has nothing to do with the NCAA tournament, not even the Super Bowl. It's the annual swimsuit issue. Friends, you and I are drowning, drowning in a sea of human sexuality. And that was also the case for the folks in Thyatira. Now, even in its heyday, Thyatira was not going to make the top 10 most desirable places to live. Thyatira happened to be in the boonies. And I can't help but think that if the singer John Fogarty had been alive back then, he might have had a song titled, Oh Lord, Stuck in Thyatira Again. As a matter of fact, the, the main role of Thyatira in the Roman Empire was to be a buffer in the case that there was an attack on the city of Pergamum. They hoped, they just hoped that Thyatira slowed them down long enough for Pergamum to be able to defend itself. The people of Thyatira were bronze makers, cobblers, potters, leather workers, linen workers, and bakers. It was just your average blue collar town. In fact, the only other place where Thyatira is mentioned in the whole Bible comes in Acts chapter 16, where the Apostle Paul meets a woman named Lydia, who is said to be a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. So there's no other reason why we would ever talk about Thyatira except for the fact that a group of people got together to form a church. Now, if you are someone who loves organization and structure, You'll be happy to know that these letters that we've been talking about in the book of Revelation have a common outline. And of course, in typical Presbyterian passion, it's three points. It's praise, problem, and promise. If you are someone who is a supervisor at work, that might not be a bad way to review the people who report to you. Begin with praise, point out the problems, and then end with promises. That's the performance evaluation process that Jesus uses with the seven churches. And so I want to invite you to take a look with me as we uh, look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And let's see what Jesus has to say to this church in Thyatira. Beginning in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write... These are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, faith, service, and patient endurance. I know that your last works are greater than your first, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her fornication. Beware, I am throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her I am throwing into great distress, unless they repent of her doings. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, 
I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To everyone who conquers and continues to do my works to the end, I will give authority over the nations to rule them with an iron rod as when clay pots are shattered, even as I also received authority from my father. To the one who conquers, I will also give the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, uh, here we are uh, this morning, and we're entering into an area of life that is uh, filled with confusion, uh, one in which it's easy to compromise, and one in which we need your cleansing and forgiveness, and that is in this area of sexual morality. And so we pray that in these moments, for your Holy Spirit to come down and illuminate the pages of these scriptures for us so that we might learn to walk more faithfully in your wisdom and truth. And it's to the glory of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. Well, at one level, Thyatira was doing a terrific job. Jesus says to them, I know your works, your love, faith, service, and perseverance. So Thyatira combines the virtues of the first three churches that we've looked at so far. They, they have the active uh, service of Ephesus with the love that Ephesus did not have. They have the patient endurance of those suffering saints in Smyrna. They had the faith of those Bible teachers in Pergamum. And then Jesus throws them even more bouquets saying, and you're doing more that now than you did at first. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, Thyatira Presbyterian Church, you're good and you're getting better. But then Jesus says, I have this against you. And we think, uh-oh. He says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. In other words, you allow sexual morality to enter into your church. So Jesus says, on, on one hand, I couldn't be more proud of you. You're going great guns for God, and at the same time, you keep shooting yourselves in the foot in how you conduct yourselves sexually. Now, one of the problems, just to kind of set the context here a little bit, was the mandatory membership in the union guilds in Thyatira. Thyatira had what would be the equivalent of our trade unions, except they had religious features that took place at the local uh, pagan temple. And so attendance at these uh, union guild banquets uh, meant eating meal, uh, meat and meals uh, sacrificed to temple gods. And so these meetings had drunken parties and orgies and prostitutes. So the, these people are operating in the middle of this uh, uh, sexual uh, mischievous um, activity. So the challenge for Christians back then is, is pretty much the same as it is for us today. And that is to kind of reprogram ourselves to a higher standard that is different, that is different than the culture around us. Now let's be honest, that ain't easy, is it? Living a sexually pure life today is sort of like being in a basketball game where you're standing at the free throw line it's in the closing seconds of the game, it's a tie game, and we are playing on our opponent's home court. And God has set this really high standard way up here, 
that we're trying to swish, but we're not really sure that we can make it. And on top of that, everybody is screaming at the top of their lungs for us to miss it. They're waving their arms, they're stomping their feet, and they're hoping that we fall short of that standard. Well, at Thyatira, they shot an air ball. A woman apparently had risen from the ranks of the church to a position of leadership, and she was using that position to lead the people there into the moral abyss of sexual immorality and idolatry. Now, this woman's name was not really Jezebel. In all of my years of ministry, I've never baptized a girl named Jezebel. It would be like, hey, I want you to come over and meet my son Judas. I mean, we just don't do that. So Jezebel, just so you know, was the Phoenician. Hey, that was pretty good, actually. I like that. <laughs> Jezebel was the, uh, the Phoenician queen. You've got to go to the Old Testament. One of the most evil characters in all the Bible. She had many of God's prophets killed, and she even tried to kill the prophet Elijah. She also led Israel into such horrors as, get this, the practice of infant sacrifice. And now Jesus is saying, folks, you've got a Jezebel on your hands there in the church in Thyatira. There was just one big difference here in Revelation. This woman was a Christian. The church was not being attacked from the outside, but inside by one of their own. Now, I don't know for sure, but I don't think necessarily that she was an evil person out to destroy the church and create all kinds of turmoil and chaos. She just said what she thought was true. It's kind of like what one person said, marriage is a great institution, but who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> This woman thought that it was high time that, that the church got its head out of the sand and joined the real world of sexual liberation. And so she would say things like, well, listen, if the church is going to stay relevant, then we've got to evolve our views in order to keep pace with this rapidly changing society. It's really no big deal. It's only sex. Today, we have people saying the same thing, that sexual immorality is really no big deal. Instead of uh, teaching our young people, we've been talking about young people today, the spirituality of sex, we teach them the plumbing and the mechanics, and then we call that sex education. In fact, one school sex education textbook said that sex is like a sneeze, a sneeze. The two people just sneeze together. In other words, it's just another instinctive biological function of the body. The problem is you can't split the function from the person. Oh, we're great at teaching the function, biology, anatomy, physiology, contraception. But we don't say a word about the spiritual meaning of human sexuality. You know, one of the happiest places at our Jacob's Ladder Nursery School is the fenced-in area of the playground, which is behind the Family Life Center. Because it's inside that fence that children run and play and laugh and climb without any fear, right? Friends, it is that of God's love for us that he has set boundaries, fenced-in area, 
for us to express our sexual desires. And there's so much uh, shame and scarring and hurt that can come on because we think, oh, it's just a harmless sexual escapade. I remember the movie Indecent Proposal. You may remember the movie too, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore play a young couple, married, struggling to make ends meet, but they are committed to each other in that, in that covenant of marriage. Well, along comes a very suave, debonair, and very wealthy Robert Redford, who offers Demi Moore a large sum of money to become his sex partner. And the movie is sort of this young couple wrestling over what to do. They finally agree. And I want you to listen to the line in the movie that Demi Moore gives as her reason. She says, hey, all I'm going to give is my body. I'm not going to give my mind or my heart. Friends, that simply is not true. The relationship of marriage is the physical and spiritual bonding of a man and a woman. Both your bodies and souls are joined together, and you can't separate one from the other. And so what God is saying is when you come together physically, you bond not only with your bodies, but also with your souls. See, we're not just sexual beings, but God created us to be spiritual beings first. And what that simply means is that our maleness and our femaleness is not just a handy way to keep the human race going, but it is what God gave us as a way of completing our creation in his image. If you open up the Bible, look at Genesis, the words of Jesus, the writings of Paul, you're going to hear that no matter how casual the sexual coupling, coupling, the people are joined together in what is called one flesh. You heard me read earlier, with tears going down his face, Adam says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And God has given to us sexual intimacy as a life-uniting act to symbolize the total, unbreakable, personal unity, and that is the covenant of marriage. And while many bumper stickers today refer to it as it, it, the Christian life refers to it as vow, vow. I want to share with you one of the old marriage vows from the Book of Common Worship. At, one, at the altar, one partner standing with the other says, with my body, I thee worship. Isn't that beautiful? With my body, I thee worship. So if you think there's such a thing as casual sex, you could not be more wrong. It is a personal, intimate, meaningful, holy act where a thou is connected to you with your body and your vow. Now, I recognize when I preach a sermon like this, I'm uh, treading on dangerous ground for a lot of reasons. But one of them might be that some of you here or maybe watching is someone who partied hard into the night with Jezebel. So what do we do with people who aren't real proud to boast about their past? Well, 
There are a lot of strange and goofy ideas out there, unfortunately. Usually comes from well-meaning Christians, and they'll say things like, well, you've made a mess of your life. Now you're going to have to be miserable forever. In her beautifully candid memoir titled Girl Meets God, Lauren Winner, the author, tells how she came to faith in Jesus Christ as an adult. And when she became a Christian, she heard preachers talk about two things, ghosts and scars, ghosts and scars. And after living a far less than perfect sexual life, she, what she heard from the pulpit on Sunday is, you're going to have ghosts in your head and scars in your spirit. But in reflecting on her life, Lauren Winner wrote this, no, I don't think so. It's more like credit card debt. I dug myself a hole with some bad choices I made, and I'm working my way out of it every day by God's grace, and I've repatterned myself into who I truly am as a child of God. And so the love and faithfulness of God comes alongside those who most need to hear it. And even when we've gone off and made a big mess of our lives, God is there to lift us up and put us back on the path again. And then finally, Jesus gives a message to the rest of the people in Thyatira, those who have not, not followed Jezebel. He says to them, you heard me, I won't impose on you any other burden, only hold on to what you have until I come. In other words, hang in there. Don't give up. Don't give in. So Jesus says to the rest of those people, not eating meat, sacrificed to idols, who are kind of playing it straight sexually, I have some instructions for you too. He says, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to bask in the glow of sunsets and rainbows and music and laughter and chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. So friends, I want you to take a great big bite out of life. Because your heavenly father made this world all for you as his children and and with fences and within the boundaries of his word he wants you to enjoy it as his children now any god who would do that any god who would do that would be capable of just about anything including providing us with the gift of sexual love would you join me in prayer let us pray Oh God, in the midst of this uh, casual attitude that uh, so many have towards the affairs of the uh, flesh, we realize that the uh, sexual side of our nature is, is actually a wonderful gift from you. And so help us to focus on the other person, wanting to serve them, wanting to care for them, wanting to meet their needs. Lord, we pray that as we lay our own broken, sinful natures before you at the foot of the cross this morning, for any of the things we've ever done which today haunt us, shame us, or cause us to question our worth in your eyes, that you would forgive us and make us whole and strong again. Give us hope and confidence that we can live faithfully for you in this world. Teach us to embrace each day as it brims with new possibilities of life and laughter 
and most of all, your enduring love. How we thank you for the gift of your grace, which is unfailing and eternal, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.